Feed me more. Feed me more. Feed me more. All right, welcome back to the Footy Feast podcast, the place to tune into if you're hungry for more footy content. Back for our third episode. Craig, how are we? Uh, we're good this week. Had a look at the numbers, some good listener numbers through there, so very happy with that. Hopefully we get a few more this week. Yeah. Rick, how are we going? Did you recover from your first podcast last week? Yeah, just pulled in in time. Did have a test today, but I'm here, ready to go, boys. Uh, we also, like Craig said, we had a steady stream of listeners over the last couple of weeks. Shout out to the two Belgium and USA listeners, to whoever you are, um, and shout out to the few Melbourne and Perth listeners as well. Hashtag Mr. Worldwide. That is why they started calling me Mr. Worldwide, because we're going global. <laughs> All right, let's get feeding. All right, during the week, Adam Cooney listed his prediction for the top seven players in the next five years. Craig and Rick weren't too happy with that list, so they've come up with their own top seven players in the next five years. No, well, he had a really shit list. I mean, some of them actually are on my list, but some of them won't make the cut for me. So his list had Ben King at number seven, Aaron Norton at six, Sam DeConning at 5, Luke Jackson at 4, Sam Walsh at 3, Jason Horn Francis at 2, Max King at 1. What I don't like about his list is all these players that haven't played enough games yet to even know. That's just a lot of guesswork from him. Uh, Rick, we'll let you lead off with your list for now. So first of all, I just did a dive into the Brownlow medal. So of the last 20 Brownlow medals, the median age is 25 and the most common range for the winner is 24 to 28. Um, there are obviously some outliers in this where people younger and people older are winning it. Um, so, but I have tried to stick within this age range. So I'll open up with number seven with my only, well, with my aged outlier, which is Clayton Oliver, who'll be 29 at this time. Craig, who do you have at seven? Uh, number seven for me is a key forward from the Hawthorne Football Club. You may have heard of him, Mitch Lewis. Now, he's only played 46 games, but his numbers are as good as, if not better, than Max King's numbers. So he had Max King at number one. I think Mitch Lewis is as good, if not better. He's taking games by the scruff of the neck uh, and contested grabs. He's got big jukes. So I like him to be a better key forward in uh, five years' time. You just said he was lazy and picking people with not many games, and you're taking a pretty small sample size of a Hawthorne player who was like real late pick. Like, fair enough he's on your list, but all right. He's can... a gun. He's played 46 games. What more do you need to see? That's two full seasons worth. I've seen enough to know that he's going to be a star. Well, I should probably just uh, elaborate on mine then. Well, Clayton Oliver, probably like, arguably one of the best players in the AFL now. He'll keep that up for a few years, and obviously he's going to start to decline after five years. But I still think within the five years, he'll still be one of the better players in the AFL. Um, moving on to my number six, I've selected a key forward with Aaron Norton. Do believe he's probably got the best hands in the game. I don't think he's probably going to increase his skill set much more, but he will get more accurate as time goes on, and like he'll still be clunking them, and he'll be a big key forward. He kicks heaps of goals. Can't argue with Aaron Norton. He's still coming up on my list. Number six for me was Shire Bolton. Now, this guy is five foot nothing, as Rick likes to point out, similar to me. Averages one contested mark a game, more than Brody Grundy, more than all these other ruckmen, and he's five foot nothing. Also, he's kicked thirty odd goals. Averages about eighteen touches. He's a star. He's a barometer of Richmond. If they're going to be any good, it's because of him. He's only going to get better from here. At number five, I'll jump straight in. Andrew Brayshaw. 
Already dominating now in the AFL. Could win the Brownlow this year. Would be good for my bank account if he does. Um, averaging 30 touches, he may as well be Fremantle's best player. He He's the only one that I'm happy with him at number five. He's only 22. He'll be 27 by then. He'll still be in the elite. My number five, I've gone with Jason Horn-Francis. I believe we haven't seen much of him. He's a big-bodied player. He's already like showing glimpses of like big talent, big moments, breaking tackles. He's an important player at North Melbourne now. He's going to transfer to a better system, develop quicker, and be on the up and up. I'll jump into my number four, where I have Luke Jackson. My theory here is, arguably, right now, there's a Ruckman in the top 10. So there's always going to have to be one Ruck in the top 10, and it was between Luke Jackson and Sean Darcy. I just believe Luke Jackson's going to be more of your less tap hit, more mobile Ruckman, which is going to translate to being a better player. I don't have Luke Jackson in my list at all. I don't know where he ends up after this year. If he's at Fremantle, he's the second Ruckman and he becomes the key forward, so he's wasted. The next two, three years at Melbourne, Max Gorn will still be there and still be their best player. So he'll be third on their, he'll be second on the depth chart again and just playing key forward. So I don't know how he gets to the top seven in five years' time. Um, number four for me, I had Max King. Um, I really wanted to put Ben King on because I honestly think he's a better player, but coming off the ACL, couldn't get him in. Max King's shown enough this year. He's equal with Mitch Lewis in the contested marks. He's got more goals. Um, I think he is going to be a great player going forward. I can't see why he wouldn't be. You said it yourself. Number three, the better King brother. I have Ben King. What he showed last year, absolutely insane. Kicked more than 50 goals in a terrible side. Can't wait to see what he does in the next five years. Gold Coast are going to get better and better. He's going to kick bucket loads of goals for them. Mobile, big key forward, can clunk him. He's real good below his, below his knees. He's just ready to go. Best Going to be the best key forward in the AFL in the next five years. Very interesting. All right, changing the pace here on number three. I have selected the first key defender. Now... I've gone with Sam Taylor from GWS. Now, Sam Taylor... Whoa! Well, what? Big call. Not really a big call. You need a key defender in your list. I don't know why you have none in your list. That's because it's a shit list. Now, the diversity in my list, Sam Taylor has number three in the AFL for score intercepts at the moment. And he will only get better. He's also 12th for... Mark intercepts as well. But the most important stat here is he's had 38 one-on-one contests and he has only lost four of them. So he will only get better. He's only played 50, 60 games. He gets better. He's going to be the next Stephen May equivalent, Alex Rance. Five years' time, he's only 28 years old. So he's still ready to go. He'll be the best key back in the AFL. That's a given as far as I'm concerned. All right, to my number two, I'm going to guess who is Craig's number one. But with number two, I've put Sam Walsh. The stats speak for themselves. He's been an absolute animal ever since he's been in the AFL. Racks him up on the weekend, 40 touches. Not even playing as a predominant midfielder. He's just an absolute freak. Big tank. He's going to be the future captain of Colton. He's going to stick around there. He works in their system. He's just going to be an absolute beast. I can't argue with that because I also have Sam Walsh at number two. Um, right now, he's already the best player at Colton. So he could well be the best player in the AFL. I'm not disputing that. 2-1. It was pretty hard call for me. He's an upgraded version of Andrew Brayshaw. He does whatever he does, but better. He just runs all day. He works hard. And if you ever watch a Carlton game and you just watch Sam Walsh, he just works up and down the ground harder than everyone. 
Um, I can't see him getting any worse, only better from here. You said it right there. Works hard, runs all day. Let's go to my number one, Bailey the Goat Smith. Absolute animal, tackles, kicks, goals. He's a beast. He's going to be the best player at the Western Bulldogs. He's going to stay loyal to him. He's going to be around. He's shown you what he can do. He accumulates. He does damage to the opposition teams. He just racks it up. Let's go, baby. Okay, well, Bailey Smith is going to get an honourable mention from my list. Um, I don't even know if he'll be in the AFL in five years' time. He's got some serious character flaws, some mental health issues. He's already got one strike on the drug policy. I can't afford to compromise my list with a talent that may not be there in five years' time. Um, so, I mean, it was mentioned earlier, but Aaron Norton is my number one pick. I sat behind the goals in the Western Bulldogs cheer squad in the finals last year when they demolished Port Adelaide. In the first quarter, he just took the game away from Port Adelaide. He was the best player on the ground by an absolute country mile. It was amazing to watch. He always has got strong hands, works hard, arguably the best forward in the AFL as far as I'm concerned. He's got everything that you want from your AFL uh, player in the forward line. So, yeah, he's my number one in five years' time. Yeah, five years' time. Um, I had a few honourable mentions. Tim English, too many concussions, didn't make the list. Bailey Smith, character issues. Ben King coming off his ACL. Um, Connor Rosie, showed flashes, but he's not there yet. Uh, Noah Anderson, we might talk about him in another podcast, but I have plenty of positive things to say about him. Sean Darcy can't stay on the park. Caleb Sarong is not there yet. And Sam DeConning, while I like him, he hasn't had enough games yet to convince me. Yeah, the ones that I struggled to leave off my list was Matt Rao. He's a big 20-year-old now. He's just going to end up being a big inside midfielder. They're the ones that do the damage. They're the ones that look good on TV. Clayton Oliver, like Ollie Wines type. Um, Hayden Young, I did think about putting him in there. He's going to be like probably the best rebounding defender in the next five years. I also thought about putting Tom DeConing in my list as the Ruckman, but he did fall into third place behind Luke Jackson and Sean Darcy. And then the last player that I thought about was Zach Butters. As a Port Power supporter, I'm there every week. He just throws himself at it. He does some real good damage around the ground, sees kicks that other people don't, and he just sets up so many goals for his team. You might have heard of Josh Rochelle. He is going to be a fucking beast. He would possibly be the best player in six years' time. But this was a five-year time list, so we couldn't add him. But six years' time, he's going to be the best player in the AFL. Watch out. No, Josh Rochelle is going to be good. There you go. So we've got uh, the top seven players in the next five years from Craig and Rick. Um, if you haven't guessed already, for those who listened last week uh, and met Rick, Rick's got a bit of a hard-on for Bailey Smith. Um, and out of those seven players that Rick's mentioned, he has six of them in his keeper league. So there might be a little bit of bias there. You Leave that up to you to decide. Maybe that's just good drafting. I doubt it. I have zero in my team because I just picked the best players all around, not just the best fantasy mm. players. You still named, I think, three players from my team, Craig. And we'll also just uh, reiterate there that these they've picked this list not off current fantasy form. It's off um, AFL form and um, how they're going to perform in five years. Um, anything else you guys want to go on that before we move on? No. Adam Cooney, worst Brownlow medalist of all time, and he can't pick top seven lists. Did you see Matt Prudis win a Brownlow? He was equally as fat and shocking. At least he set the tackle record. Adam Cooney set the fuck-all record. It's true. Adam Cooney is a ginger. That is definitely going against him. He'd probably be the only ginger Brownlow medalist, so outlier year. Until Clayton Oliver wins this year. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, we're going to move on. I know we talked about it last week, but um, 
one of our listeners, shout out to Tracy, uh, when we talked about the Tasmanian Timbers last week, mm. um, we've just been asked about a mascot and potential team colours. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to pass it over to Craig. Rick also has decided to jump ship this week and is all for the Tasmanian Timbers. So he's also got something to say after Craig. I've been converted. Okay. So just while we get into the start of this segment, we're going to play a bit of the theme song of the Tasmanian Timbers. So we'll give a minute for Pete to play a bit of theme song music just to get you in the mood. Okay, and we're back. So the mascot and team colours. Naturally, Tasmania, we don't have any teams with green in the AFL. Now, what kind of green? It's got to be a forest green. You can't be the Timbers and have a light fluoro green. As good as that would look under lights, fluoro green's not going to cut it. Dark forest green with white. Now, I'm going to do some mock-ups and we'll put them on the Facebook page, but that's the colours I like. Thoughts, boys? Yep. I like those colours. And before we move on to the the mascot, Rick, uh, I was talking just before the podcast, he has got an idea for the... uh, He likes those colours, but he's also got an idea for the design of the jersey on how that would look. Okay, I'm interested. Tell me. First of all, just back to what you said, Craig, you've got to throw a brown in there. You've got to have a tree. So my idea is you have a tree falling over as your logo, dividing with the two colours. You nailed it. White and green on opposite sides of a brown falling tree. It's going down. We're yelling, Timber Boys, get around it. How is the flip on Rick? One what? of the Tasmanian Devils now is all about the Tasmanian Timbers. What more can I say? It It's going down. We're yelling, Timber, and everyone in Tasmania will be yelling, Timber, from a $900 million stadium. Now, you can have the tree. Rick, you're going to have to be more specific, possibly next week, and tell me what kind of tree is falling down. Um, very specific. I want some research from Tasmania. What kind of big trees are going to be falling down? Um, just a note, you could also have an axe. That's what the Portland Timbers have in the Major League Soccer as their logo. Um, I don't know. You've got to have some guy with in a suit running around the ground, so it might be easier to run around as a tree than it would be to run around as an axe. But we got the colours. we got a mascot potentially. We'll just figure out what tree it is. We'll let Rick do his uh, Bunnings knowledge from the Green Life. All right, we'll do, Craig. I'll look into the natural fauna and fauna of Tasmania, and I'll get back to you before next week. Excellent. Tasmanian Timbers, heard it first. All right, moving on. As you all would know, uh, big discussions this week over the Tom Stewart and uh, Prestia uh, incident. Questions raised during the week whether or not there needs to be changes in relation to possible uh, red cards or sin bin. Um, that's been brought up during the week. So uh, we're going to have a bit of a discussion about the uh, sin bin talk reemerged during the week. I know one of us is definitely for the idea and a couple of us are against it. So um, well, I reckon Rick can take us away with this one. Well, it's a lot more simple than everybody thinks. So realistically, if you go to the tribunal, they do you for three things. So you've got conduct. Was it intentional? Was it careless? Impact? Was it severe? High, medium or low? And was the contact high or low? It's simple. So let's just look at this weekend, for example. So Tom Stewart knocked out Dion Prestia. It's easy. So conduct was intentional. Impact is severe. He knocked him out. Contact was high. That's easy. So he's going to go out for his concussion tests. That gives someone 15, 20 minutes. So the tribunal committee needs to have a member every game. They've got 15 to 20 minutes while they assess Dion Prestia to make the decision. 
As soon as that's been investigated, they've already got the indications. So it was intentional, severe, high. Why does Tom Stewart get to stay on the ground? He affected that game. Arguably, he was almost best on ground. If this was a grand final, people would be outraged if he stayed on. What if he won the Norm Smith medal after knocking someone out in the first five minutes of a game and changed that contest? Uh, well, it's happened before. Um, Dermot Braden ran off the edge of the circle and took out someone at the very start of oh, one of the grand finals in the 90s. Um, oh, no, wait, he got taken out, sorry. He got taken out at the start of the game, came on with broken ribs, Hawthorne won anyway. But, um, you know, back then it was okay and... And now I still see it as okay. Um, I'm not for a, sin, a yellow, a red card or a permanent send-off. I, I would be open to a, a yellow card that sends a player off for the rest of the quarter. If it happens in the last two minutes, too bad. If it happens at quarter time, then they sit out the next quarter. Um, I think that's probably a fair punishment because you know at the end of the day, they're going to cop their weeks. So you miss out on the rest of the quarter. Smith Stewart cops his four weeks anyway at the end of the day, so it hurts long in the long run more than it does for one game. They win one, they lose the next four. Um, I'm happy with that mathematics for me. Yeah, but the thing is, like, that's all well and good, but the problem still lies with what if Richmond got an injury one minute after that? They're down one player on the bench now. Like, you shouldn't be disadvantaged because someone from another team acted in malice and KO'd one of your players. That's just ridiculous. I, I just think that's 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 part of the game, though. That's why you've got the emergency subs. Like, if two players go down with a hamstring in the first five minutes, you don't get in it. Like, it's just bad luck. Yeah, that is true. But like, still, realistically, if you had a system like this in place, Tom Short would not be hitting someone late. They would realize that there's a bigger impact as well on what you're doing right now. Like, they're all out there. They want to win every single game. Like, at first, it might be a glimpse of. Oh, I've made a mistake. Whereas if you know you're out this game, you're going to be have a big suspension coming. Like you're going to think about stuff like that more. Like I'm only saying like examples like when um Jeremy Cameron punched Harris Andrews in the back of the head. You're sin binned. Tom Stewart hitting someone late, knocking him out, sin binned. Or Gaff getting hit. Yeah, yeah, like Gaff punching Brayshaw. Like they're the sin bin. You're out of the game. Like you're ejected. I Whereas like if you're talking like Scott Lysette tackling that Crows player last week, yeah, fair enough. That tackle was probably a little bit heavy, but he's a 110 kilo ruckman tackling a small forward. He didn't intend to knock him out. Like it's only for these blatant late hits, KO and people affecting games. I disagree that they don't know the punishment. I mean, Tom Stewart's going to miss four weeks now, and he he well would have known that while he was playing as well. I don't I don't think sending them off at at the game is gonna is gonna make a difference. Going on from what you said, Rick, um, Kane Corn said during the week that. If the bump didn't happen on Prestia, that Richmond would have won the game. Do you, do you think that's the case? Oh, you're talking hypotheticals here. Like, anything could happen. Like, Tom Short could have broke his own collarbone and Geelong could have lost. So, there's no point in talking hypotheticals. I'm just saying, for example, if Kane Corns is right, this could have cost Richmond playing finals this year. It's such a close race between 8th to 12th or whatever it is. Like, if Richmond lose and don't make finals because of this one game, Think about the impact that has on their 100,000 supporters. To me, it's highly subjective. Um, who's to say what's a send-off incident? Who's to say what's not a send-off incident? I don't think there's any way to police it fairly. It's going to be up to the eye of the beholder. I just think with too much grey air in AFL and umpiring at the moment, why I add more grey air in? Shit happens. The game goes on. He licks his wounds next week, and Presti will probably be back earlier and win him a few games off his own thing, I think. It's just way too heavy-handed. In amateur league, 
you give more yellow cards and red cards because they're just violent thugs playing in amateur league. They're out there to swing some fists. In AFL, these are just outlier incidents. There's no point uprooting the whole game for an outlier incident. It's a no from me. I, I agree. I, I'm against it. Um, I think, like Craig said, it's going to be... I think it would be... Is, if it's going to get implemented, is it going to be consistent enough not to disrupt the games? Like, e.g., going on the other way of what you've said, Rick, that if someone was to get sin bin and that was controversial and controversial, and then say like Richmond's play hit someone and they hit, they've sin binned him, but it's controversial and they shouldn't have got sin binned, then they they've affected the game as well there. So you've also got to look at that argument as well. Um, I'm against it. Craig's against it. Rick's for it. Say it was to come in, how would we do it? Do you think it would have to be run through the arc? I've put my two cents in. I just think send them off for the quarter if it comes in. That's it for me. Yeah, like I'm not 100% like, yeah, if they do this, like I'm all for it. But I'm just on the point of this has affected a game. It could affect the finals race this year. Um, Just with what you've said. So if it was to be implemented, I think you need someone from the tribunal that's there. And it's simple. They literally have the three grading metrics, which I've already said. If it's graded all of them and they're going to miss weeks, just punish them now. It also makes it easier. They're going to go to the tribunal knowing they're getting weeks. It takes a lot of the speculation out for coaches, lets them plan team earlier. But yeah, if like what Craig said, if you send them off for a quarter, that's probably still fair, even if they miss the full 20 minutes of game time. There just has to be some penalty for costing the other team the chance of losing a player instantly. Yeah, that's a fair enough point. I, I'm, I'm not uh, fully against the quarter or 20 minute thing, but I just think sending someone off Sinbin for the whole game is, is just too much. All right, Rick's uh, going to talk about a uh, potential, uh, what's another hypothetical discussion really, with um, an AFL draft lottery. So is this like an NBA draft lottery style for the first pick in the draft? Is that how you're doing this? Yes, that's exactly what we're doing with locked picks as well. Yeah, go on, explain. Yeah, how does this, how does this work? All right, so if you're the top eight and you play finals, that's your locked position. So you're going to get the last eight picks of each round. So if you finish first, you get one marble in the bag. And if you finish eighth, you get eight marbles in the bag. Then live on TV, make it a spectacle, pull the marbles out. You're going to know who gets what. Just means if you're the best club, you don't get penalized and you're going to get the last pick. And then obviously it's the same for the bottom. So the bottom 10 is also locked. So you're going to draw marble. So 18th gets 10 marbles, 9th gets one marble and you pull them out. So if you're lucky, you might finish ninth and still get pick one. Um, the reason that made me think of this is the best youth shouldn't always be going to the worst team. So, like, let's look at Jason Horn Francis. He's come from real professional standards. He wants to win. He's driving. He's getting in arguments with players. He's just had enough of people around him not having enough. Kobe Bryant was the same. We're looking at basketball now. He just had that hunger. Michael Jordan, they just have that hunger, and they can't drive the standards themselves. He needs to be in an environment where he's got the opportunity to thrive. Can you imagine what Jason Horn Francis would look like if he played for a better club right now? He could be playing forward, impacting more games, little pinch hits in the middle, actually around players helping him out. Like, imagine if he was on the end of these hand passes from Clayton Oliver, going into the forward line and just having all this backing from a better team, getting kicks, hitting him on the chest. Like, he would look significantly better. What do you think, boys? Uh, well, I'm just doing quickly bringing up the. Sam Walsh draft. Now, as far as I can tell, Carlton were the worst team in the draft in 2018. So Sam Walsh went to the worst team in the draft. And now look, look forward at them. now, 2022, Carlton are on fire. Sam Walsh has thrived. Um, 
if the system works. Why fuck with the system when it works? I think uh, it's just unnecessary because you're just going to make the real shit teams shit for longer. Um, that's that's what I was about to say. If, if you're having a draft lottery at the moment, the, the shit teams get cream of the crop. And like Craig says, it's just it's turned around Carlton. So if you take that away, how are the shit teams going to get better? All right, so think about it like this. So, yeah, you got Sam Walsh. That's like a one in however many. Like Sam Walsh, arguably, we've already discussed, he's going to be one of the best players in the AFL. Like, what if they didn't pick Sam Walsh? What if he wasn't the obvious number one pick? But then, like, for example, this year, Hewitt co- costs nothing. Brody, uh, Will Brody costs nothing. Tyson Stengel costs nothing. These are players you bring in now that make you better now. What, so North Melbourne are going to finish last another five years in a row and get five number one picks? Yeah, of course you're going to be good in another 10 years. We don't want rebuilds to be taken 10 years. We want the gap to decrease now. Like, just because you get the number one pick, they should be looking at trading this pick more. You bring in someone who helps your club now. Like, if I was a North Melbourne supporter, I'd be fuming. What, let's just tank five years, get five good young players. Hopefully they stick around and then we'll be good in 10 years. No thanks. Start being more aggressive. Like like I said, Hewitt, nothing. Will Brody, nothing. Stengel, nothing. You go for these fringe players. Come into your club. Get good now. All the great premiership dynasties of the last 20 years have been built through the draft. Uh, Hawthorne, Franklin, Ruffhead, Lewis, Hodge, uh, Mitchell, all taken through the draft. Early picks, important picks. That's what got their team to where it was. Richmond was the same. Dustin Martin was an early pick. Cotchum was an early pick. They built their teams out of these early picks in the draft. You can't take away the picks from the shit teams. They need the early picks as high as possible in order to rebuild. Yeah, it takes time, and yeah, it sucks. But at the end of the day, you've seen the fruits of the labor. Um, West Coast are coming good. Sorry, not West Coast. Richmond came good. Hawthorne came good. West Coast did theirs. They did a lot of trading in theirs too, but they got Nick Nate Nui with their first pick. That helped their build their cornerstone of their rucks. Um, they traded pick three, so that's an option too to get Josh Kennedy in. Um, so there are ways. If they have the first pick, it just gives them options. Taking away the first pick from North Melbourne is a disaster. Um, yeah, there's got to be another way. I don't think taking the best pick away from the worst team is going to help anyone. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't mind the idea of it, but I just don't think it would work. Like Craig said, the, the dynasties have been built on the draft picks, and like look at Carlton now; they're coming, they're coming good. Yeah, I know you're saying Sam Walsh was probably a bit of an outlier with with them picking him, but I just think if if you bring in a little bit of luck into it as well, you could potentially be stacking uh, be stacking premiership teams as well. Like there's a chance of that happening as well, which which is going to make the bottom teams even bottom out even for even longer. Yeah, you just like this now because if it was a draft this year, Port would have a chance to get the first pick because they're not going to make finals. So, I mean, that benefits Port really well because they're shit and just outside the eight, but they could get pick one. Well played, Rick. And also, just for serious purposes, in the NFL and NBA and MLB, you can trade future picks like six years down the track. So that's how this system works in a draft lottery. We need to open up our draft way more down the track if we're going to have a draft lottery. Yep. So I just want to reinstate two points that make me genuinely feel this way. Number one, it's for the player development. Like, think of the mental attribute and mental like challenges the players are going through. Like, it's good for Nick Dacos. Yeah, you got father-son to a team that's not horrible, like a team that is on the up and up now. 
Jason Francis wants to leave now. What's the point of sending the best players there? Attitudes are going to be getting worse and worse with these younger players, and they're just going to want to start winning now. Like, yeah, cool, you take Jason Horn Francis 1 North Melbourne, good work. There's a chance he'll be at the Crozer Port next year. Well, there's another way, if that's your biggest issue, is that he's not happy where he is. AFL players have the option to nominate their state if they want to stay in their home state in the draft like they do in the AFLW. Maybe that's an option in order to help some of these players get through their inaugural years and sometimes you're going to have really good players in your state and sometimes you're not going to have really good players in your state, but potentially give them the option to nominate. They don't want to leave. Like Archie Perkins said, don't draft me. I'm not leaving Melbourne. And Essendon picked him at pick 10. He probably would have went higher or he would have went to interstate. He came out and said, if you draft me, I'm not going to cope. Don't pick me. I'm not going interstate. End of story. Jason Francis, if he wasn't going to cope, he should have just said, hey, keep me in SA. I'll go to Adelaide at three or four. Problem solved. North Melbourne can pick someone else who wants to be there. Everyone wins. Just my last point on it. The only other thing that does annoy me where fantasy draft would be better or fantasy lottery would be better is just with, so what about the mediocre teams that are finishing between fourth and and 14th every single year? They're never going to get a number one pick. They're never going to have this franchise superstar ready to go. Port have never had a number one pick. Crows have never had a number one pick. Just because you're not the worst team doesn't mean you shouldn't benefit of getting this young stud. Like, Imagine if Sam, if we had lottery draft and Sam Walsh ended up at a Port Adelaide or a Adelaide Crows. Think about how much of an impact that would have on them. Yeah, Carlton are good. They've also had like 15 number one picks, whereas Port have had none. Like, where's our Sam Walsh? Where's our Matt Rowe? Where's our Jason Horn Francis? I mean, you make some pretty valid points in that discussion. Um, bottom line, Craig, yes or no for an AFL draft lottery? It's a no for me unless we introduce much more future picks in the draft like three or four years down the track, you've got to be able to trade those picks as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm on the same page. Rick, bottom line, obviously you're for it. Bring some excitement in. Televise it. Get it live. Let's go. Now, we're going to talk about um, some would-you-rathers. Rick's got, um, what do you got, about seven or eight for us? Yeah, roughly about that. Yep, all right. Um, so we're going to go player for player. Rick's going to give us who, who would we rather. All right, boys. So we have the hybrid mid roles. So are you, we're looking at an Isaac Heaney versus Jordan Degoe. I'll kick it off. Uh, Jordan Degoe for me. Isaac Heaney just can't break into the North Sydney midfield. So I don't know how good how he could be. Jordan Degoe is in the guts for Collingwood now. He's arguably their best player. Um, I pick him. I'd pick Heaney. I like Heaney, um, but also. Just taking in the factor of the off-field drama that Jordan Ngoi can bring to the club as well. Yeah, nailed it. I've gone with Jordan Ngoi because I reckon if you can keep his mental health in check, he's definitely the better player. But as you said, um, Pete, playing it safe with Isaac Keeney not a bad option. All right, let's go. Battle of the King Brothers. Obviously, from my top seven list, you can tell I'm a Ben King fan. Over to you, Craig and Pete. I am a Ben King fan too. Um, I thought he was a better player. He's more mobile, he's got more tricks in his bag, and he's kicked 46 goals already in the year in a worse team. I think he's the better brother. I just don't know how he's going to come back from the ACL. No one does. Agreed. Um, I think we're all probably going to ground Ben King there. Who you got next, Rick? All right, let's go to some of the big key defenders' roles. So I've got Alira Lira or Jeremy McGovern. I think Jeremy McGovern for me. Alira Lira's all right. He gets the intercept marks, but Jeremy McGovern's just got the... 
the experience and the I just find he just is just so calm and collected down the back line. He just takes charge. What's the context like? Is it their age at the same age? Who would I want? Or is it right now? Because Jeremy Govan's like thirty one and Alira Lear's like twenty five. So if I'm building a team I'd probably want Alira Lear. Yeah, I, I just went off Jeremy McGovern for right now. Are we saying like oh, that was that was my interpretation? Just I'm, for, I'm for a this, premiership for contender one, yeah. right now, and I pick this player right now. We're talking like you're a manager and you've got the option of one of these two players right now, yeah. minus injuries. Am like, I in premiership window? I need to know if this is what I'm picking to put in my team right now to win a flag, or if I'm a manager, I'm going to pick the more younger guy. Obviously. All right, you're a contender right now. Um, okay, in that case, I'm taking Jeremy McGovern. Three-time All-Australian, he's a beast. As a Port fan, I've still got a Lira Lira. I'm there watching him every week. Like, without him, Port would just look abysmal in defense. He, like, literally carries our defense. He was crap on the weekend. I sat there live. It was probably his worst game for Port Adelaide. He dropped a chest mark that bounced off his chest like 50 meters. All right, let's go into the tough midfielders now. So you've got Josh Dunkley or Clayton Oliver. And like I said, we're talking right now. If you could have him on your team right now, age doesn't really matter here. One year difference. As much as I hate to say it, Clayton Oliver, I would have now. He's a more complete player and more consistent player than Dunkley. So for that reason, I'd pick him. I'm just going to be a bit controversial. I'm going to say Dunkley. Not because I have him in my fantasy. Just, Bullshit. Just, just to add a bit more discussion. But Bullshit. Um, he can be a bit more versatile with popping up front as well. Yeah, I'm just happy with Oliver. But more consistent. But... I'd pick a handful of players over him anyway. All right, I reckon this one's going to be unanimous. Let's just go between the young studs. We've got Sam Walsh and Andrew Brayshaw. Sam Walsh makes me hard, so Sam Walsh, yeah. he's as a footballer, he's just a sexy footballer. He get can do everything really well, um, which is hard to find in a footballer. He's a unicorn, essentially. Um, Nick Dacos having a really good year this year, shout out. Equaling numbers of Sam Walsh in his first year, if not slightly better. but um, as far as a unicorn goes, Sam Walsh would be a better player than Dacos in the long run. Just on Dacos, clearly you haven't read the Twitter thread because if you look deep into the stats, it's not even close. I did look at stats. Um, they're exactly the same, more or less. For disposals, you're not looking at gramble gets, clearances, tackles, all of that. You're literally just talking about Seagull, Dacos, cheap kicks in the back lines. Sam Walsh was an important midfielder in his first year. Oh, I looked at clearances, playing as inside 50s, tackles, rebound 50s, marks all of that and uh it's pretty much dead on that's official all right let's do them in the let's actually look at that in another week we'll look at best first seasons so we'll also yep. throw in clayton oliver he was pretty good in his first year let's not and we'll think of any other names that do come up probably not bailey smith either because he was shit in his first year all right uh, you got any others for us yeah all right so obviously you've got a minus injuries as if they're both playing right now would you rather Brody grundy or max gorn M- max gorn he's proven that he's a better ruckman if it was fantasy i'd be considering the ruck pig but straight up max gorn for me yeah sure this is going to be unanimous max gorn 100 percent, max gorn (laughs) all right let's look at the two best players from this draft potentially we're talking about dacos and jason horn francis well i mean we said it before but jason horn francis hasn't really had the chance to shine as much has he yeah, I still have Dacos now. That's this year. Don't know what it's going to look like in the future, but Dacos is definitely like we were going to argue rookie. Uh, we were going to argue rising stars on this podcast. I was going to say John Newcam, but I'm fucking kidding myself. Dacos is the best player of this draft easily. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, definitely at the moment. Who knows what's going to happen in years to come? Wherever JHF ends up, that could make a big factor of his performance and his development. So who knows? But 
at the moment, definitely Dacos. I agree at the moment, Dacos. But Jason Horn Francis can project Dustin Martin like towards the middle slash back of his career. And if he's three quarters of the player Dustin Martin is, it would be pretty hard for him to be any worse than Dacos. So um, I'm going with JHF probably in the long run will be the better player. If he reaches his potential, that is. There we go. Unanimous again. Any more, Rick, or is that the end of the Would You Rather? All right, we've got one more Would You Rather, which also links into the fantasy hypothetical trade that Seven News put out. So it is, would you rather Luke Jackson or Sean Darcy? Now, I've had this discussion and I've, and I've thought about it, and I would rather have Sean Darcy. Sean Darcy is doing what Luke Jackson does, but a lot better. More touches. He's a great grab. He's kicked more goals than Luke Jackson, or at least equal to it. When he plays in the forward line, he can kick four goals and take three or four contested marks every week. Um, I think I'd rather, if I was Fremantle right now, I'd rather have Sean Darcy as my starting ruck than Luke Jackson. I agree, Anna. We, we talked about this before, um, Jimmy Craig, with how if Luke Jackson goes to Fremantle, he's not going to be the starting ruck anyway, so he's going to be put probably in the forward line. So I think, well, I don't know about you, but I'm Sean Darcy as well. I am also Sean Darcy in this instance. But if we move to the hypothetical trade, I actually think it's probably a win-win trade. Like, Sean Darcy's the better player. Sorry, before we start, let us know what the hypothetical trade was. All right. So, it is Luke Jackson for Sean Darcy and a future third-round pick. So, that would imply that Luke Jackson is a better player than Sean Darcy because you're also getting a third-round pick back. Um, I don't think that's fair in any way, shape, or form. If anything... You're banking on Luke Jackson's potential versus Sean Darcy's All-Australian or All-Australian squad last year. He's proven it. Luke Jackson has not proven it. Um, his body breaks down. Who knows? But I know what I'm getting from Sean Darcy, and that's a solid player. Shane Mumford-like. Wins taps, wins clearances, takes marks, kicks goals. Um, keeping him. Yeah, that's a no-deal on the trade for me if I'm Fremantle. Yeah, I think it's a no-deal on the trade. Um, I think they could still negotiate a fair trade because I think it potentially is a big win-win for both clubs. Um, so first of all, obviously, Sean Darcy is Victorian. What's not saying he wants to move home? He could leave for nothing in a few years. Luke Jackson's from Western Australia. He He's probably going to want to go home at some point. You might as well cash out now. What if Luke Jackson blows up? This trade may never happen. So yeah, it's a little bit on potential making that swap. Also on Melbourne's point, they have a win-now team right now. You've got Clayton Oliver. You've got Christian Petrarca. You want a big, strong Ruckman hitting them the ball, giving it down the guts. They can go. Fremantle, Nat Fife's aging. Will Brody could just be having a one-hit wonder season. Luke Jackson's a Ruckman. He gets around the ground. He's going to get you more touches. He's going to have a little bit more impact on the actual game itself. Like you're saying, nine tackles, clearances, 20 touches. That could potentially help Fremantle. He fits their age profile a bit better. Andy Brayshaw, super young. Luke Jackson, get him in there. Caleb Sarong, you're talking about a potential dynasty of players that are going to stick around. Brayshaw's going nowhere. If Luke Jackson goes there, he's not going anywhere. I see it as a potential win-win trade. All right. Now, let's... Um, all right, we're going to move on to the weekly quiz. Now, the weekly quiz last week was a bit of a disaster. We had our winner, Craig. Luke's not too happy about it, but we're going to move on. So, uh, we're going to go this week. Same thing, buzz in. You get one guess. If you don't get it, moves on to the next person, and we'll go back and forth um, a few times, and we'll see if we can get an answer. If not, we'll move on to the next question. All right, you guys ready? Uh, yeah, just test my buzzer, Mr. Worldwide. Rick v. Google, let's go, baby. 
All right, question one. Now, we've already talked about this, so this should be an easy one. And just putting it out there, I've made the questions significantly easier this week, so I'm hoping we have a bit more of a flow. All right, so question one. How many weeks did Tom Stewart Rick. get? Four weeks. Correct. All right, one to, one to Rick. Bit Google there, brother. <laughs> one to Rick. All right, moving on. Question two. Which player scored the highest fantasy points in round Rick. 15? Jake Lloyd. Yeah, Rick's off to a flying start here, Craig. You Mr. Worldwide. I agree with Jake Lloyd. 141. I got it right this week, boys. That is also smack on 141. Um, all right, two to, two to Rick, zero to Craig. It's a bit of a turnaround from last week now. This, like I said, these questions are a lot easier. All That's right. why Rick's winning. <clears throat> Quit. <laughs> he's, got, he's got the Tell fastest the mouth, so right. that makes sense too. Question three. Which team is currently on top of the ladder? Rick. Melbourne. This might be a clean sweep today, Craig. It's uh, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> Brisbane were before the round, but then Melbourne got on top after beating Brisbane this round, so I should get that right. Brisbane are third now, so definitely don't give him the point. <laughs> All right, now we're just gonna we're gonna keep going because this is this is getting almost a clean sweep. We have to get a pantsing here, Craig. All right, um, three to Rick, zero to Craig. Question four: By how many points did Port defeat Craig, Coast? Mr. Worldwide, two points. Correct. All right. Three, one. My pants are up. I'm not even trying anymore now, boys. No. Uh, <laughs> right. Wait, there's only five questions in this quiz? There's five questions. I've got a tiebreaker. We'll go the five, but I'll I'll, I'll say the tiebreaker anyway. Excellent. I knew question five is also worth two points, Pete said at the start. <laughs> in case you didn't right. know. Now, question five. Who was the only player this round to snag six goals? Rick. All right, so Rick's buzzed in prematurely. I'm not even going to let you guess because you've just done that to try to win the game. Over to Craig. Mr. Worldwide thinks that the player to get six goals, now I saw this, he wasn't a key forward either. His name was, oh, he was a key forward, Tex Walker, Adelaide Crows. Correct. All right. Well, does, that that make it, does that make four. it 3-2? That makes it 3-3 three, because three, <laughs> question five was two points, doesn't it? Craig, you can't cheat two weeks in a row. It's 1-1. One, one, no, I'll tell you happens. what, because this, this quiz is this is how we do it. I make up the rules each week now. <laughs> this tiebreaker question is worth two, which could make Craig win the game. All yes, right? there were six questions in the quiz. Obviously, you didn't read the fine print, Rick. All right, we make it up this as we go here This is fucking collusion here, boys. No, we make it up as we go on the footy feast. All right. Now, this was the tiebreaker question, but this is for the win for Craig. Oh, either, either way, whoever gets his wins. All right. Now... This tiebreaker question this week is a higher or lower. So, um, I'll tell you what. Right now, you guys rock off so I can know who goes first. That's okay. I'll let Rick go first because right. uh, he's ahead at the moment. I don't want him to suck too much. So, All right. I'll give him first dibs. All right, Rick. Darcy Fogarty played his 50th game on the weekend against North Melbourne and he scored four goals. How many goals has he kicked in total in his first 50 games? 46. Higher. 64? Smack on. Oh, okay, Google. Spin that laptop. Yeah, it's on the screen. Can confirm. <laughs> yeah, no, 64. Apparently, he's ahead of um, Tom Hawkins was at his stage of his career. And Jack Rewalt as well, maybe. Yeah, Jack Rewalt, Tom Hawkins. Um, okay. what the hell, there, was a, there was a couple of other big, big names. He's, white, he's, he's oh, on par because they're, the, they're all around the mid to low 60s. Also heard, I mean, I know it's a different era, a different style of footy, but in the first 50 games, Tony Modra kicked just under 240, uh, sorry, 250 goals in his first 50 games. He hit he hit 200 goals 
in his first 42 games. That's why Tony Modra banged more chicks than any other AFL player. But I mean, that's, that is insane. And I mean, that, that goes with the different style and different era of footy though as well, different gameplay. Um, but still, 200 goals in 42 games, that, that's insane. That's crazy. That's like John Coleman, like, cause didn't he average like five goals a game or something for his entire career? Yeah, something like that. And they, they also, he, he kicked 13 goals four against Richmond one day as well. Like, what, how do you have 17 scoring shots? No Coleman medal. Let's get that renamed. That's the Modra Award. All right. So before we move on there, uh, who was that? Craig. So Craig currently, I know it's a bit uh, controversial, but he's, he's won two quizzes in a row. Hopefully you can get at least one on the trot, Rick. If you lose five um, in a row, we'll have to work out a punishment for you. I would have uh, thought so, yeah. Well, technically I'm 2-0. Craig just cheated twice. What do you mean? Well, I mean, te- today didn't really cheat. So. No, the scoreboard says Craig 2-0, so I don't know how much more technical you want to be. Pushing on, uh, we've got only a couple of segments to go. Uh, Rick is going to give us the recruit of the year. All right, boys, I have four names for you. I'm going to tell you what they cost the club to get in because I want you to take that into account and then the performance that you've got from them. All right, so number one, Jordan Dawson. He cost the Crows absolutely nothing. He elected to go there over going to Port. So his four biggest stats that I've marked down so 25 disposals a game for his position, elite. 597 meters gained each game, elite. Seven intercept possessions, elite. 2.4 intercept marks, elite. Yep, all right, next one. Yeah, the second like player, Tyson Stengel. He was a delisted free agent, cost Geelong, nothing. 10.1 kicks a game, elite. 2.1 goals a game, elite. 6.6 score involvements a game, elite. 29 goals this year, which is the third highest for any small forward in the AFL. Yep, fair enough. I know that one hurts Craig a little bit because he had him in the uh, Keeper League and got rid of him. Did you get rid of him for peanuts or did you at least get some value? No, I got rid of him for Tom Mitchell, but not fantasy pig Tom Mitchell. Some slimmed down pig Tom Mitchell <laughs> who gets 90s instead of 120s. So. I feel like wherever this goes, Stengel's not getting picked by Craig out of this segment. All right, so next is Will Brody. So this is a little bit one that's more to absorb. So Will Brody plus pick 19, plus pick 61, plus pick 69 for a future second and future fourth. So they actually lost out on the trade draft pick-wise as well as getting him. So his stats that I want you to hear. 13.2 contested possessions, elite. 20.5 effective disposals, elite. 9.3 ground ball gets, elite. 3.8 3.8 stoppage clearances, elite. Yeah, well, I mean, he's had a crack a year so far. I can't argue with any of these three so far. Who's the last one? I personally have saved the best for last. This is who I think is the recruit of the year. It better not be Bailey Smith. It's not. It's going to be George Hewitt <laughs> yeah, because he was in be, his fantasy team. Yeah, it's definitely. Bailey Smith. No, it's <laughs> not. It's George Hewitt. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. It's everyone in your fantasy team is the best for last. Well, I actually traded him. So, like, just... Uh, to be honest, before I actually looked up the stats, I had Tyson Stengel as the best pick. Getting 29 goals for someone that you paid nothing for, I honestly thought he was, yep, I had him, you're the recruit of the year, until I looked at the stats and then I thought, shit, I probably shouldn't have traded George Hewitt. So George Hewitt cost the 39th pick in the draft, which was a sup pick because he walked for nothing. So he averages 29.4 disposals, elite. 13.5 contested possessions, elite. 6.6 clearances, elite. 6.8 score involvements, elite. Uh, okay. Um, I do like George Hewitt. 
Um, I think the best way to determine the best recruit would probably be their impact on on their club so far, wouldn't you think, Pete? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously going to be a little bit biased here with Crows, but I mean, Dawson has been like, I know the words said a lot elite, but he has been <laughs> he has actually been elite this year for the Crows. Like, he's been pivotal for for most, like basically almost every game we've played. I reckon if you stop the best and fairest count right now, he's winning and he's winning by a long way. Agreed. Like he's just he's just been dominant for us, especially coming off the halfback flank. There, he's just absolutely killing it. Just what you have said, though, the impact on the club. You've also got to remember what George Hewitt's come in and done to Colton. Is that the reason Patrick Cripps is rejuvenated? Is he taking that defensive accountability? Sam Walsh playing off the half-forward flank, off the wing. He can just let loose now because there's someone in the midfield carrying a bit of that burden. Well, I thought we were going down the list, analysing them one by one, but um, we can skip to George Hewitt if you like. Um, George Hewitt is uh, first in centre clearances per game. 15th in total clearances per game, 2nd in total standard clearances, and 11th in disposal. So he's not just taking a player off Sam Walsh. He's he's winning his own ball, and he's using his own ball really well as well. He's 7th in effective disposals per game, so he's a great ball user in itself. Um, impact on Carlton. Well, Carlton's sit 4th or 5th on the ladder right now. Yeah, 5th. 5th, so... Um, as far as I can tell, his impact has been massive, mainly for Patrick Cripps turned into the beast mode for the first nine games of the year. Um, I'd put that on the back of Hewitt being there. That's the only thing that's really different to any other year. Um, good recruit, definitely. Just on that, though, it's pretty hard because we're talking about Geelong sit second, Tyson Stengel's kicked a lot of goals, Will Brody, Fremantle sit fourth. They look like a, a completely different club. So we kind of can't just focus on the team here because all the teams that we're talking about they're all good teams so we're kind of going to have to nut out players to a point as well no we have to look at look at why um personally for me i have it somewhere between will Brody and george hewitt uh, will Brody hasn't been talked about much but he was literally could not get a game on the gold coast suns and he has elevated that Fremantle midfield to the point where Andrew Brayshaw is now in contention for the Brownlow medal on the back of Will Brody taking some pressure off. He's done that without Nathan Fife in the team also. He's had his number one ruck who's been injured for a period of time. Um, and he's sort of come in and, and just taken on the mantle of a lot of the heavy lifting in that Fremantle midfield. Very similar to George Hewitt. Honestly, I have them... They're almost sitting on par. Really. I would say they're almost yeah. on par. Equal impact. Like They've come in and done the same role. They've taken the grunt work, so then their better players or their more flashy players can get... I suppose the only thing you could probably say maybe the upper hand, like you said, is that um, he's done it without Fife and leadership there. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's correct. He's had Cripps and Walsh around him. Um, I'd put them almost on par. It'd be hard to split them. It'd be a personal preference. That's an easy one-two then. Just let's rank the other two just for argument's sake. Probably a little bit biased, but I'd say Dawson 3, Stengel 4. I'm going to have Dawson 3rd too because I sat there at the showdown and watched him kick the worst goal after the siren to win the game. And and that was in like his third game for the Crows, playing off hard back, went half back when he snuck forward. Um, Rick might remember that as a Port fan, but I mean, I watch I know Jordan Dawson play every week at the Crows home games and I see what his impact is. Crows have, what, four or five wins now? They'd probably have two wins, one win if it wasn't for him playing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, agreed. Dawson, I think Dawson's been elite for us. 
I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to put Stengel ahead. It's just hard to come by 29 goals. You were talking about in a forward line with Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins as well. They're kicking bucket loads of goals themselves. For him to get a casual 29 goals in half of a year, pretty impressive. You also got to look at whether or not how many of those goals are cherry-picked. That's fair, but either way, it's my opinion. So. I mean, he could be doing a Josh Jenkins and just sit in the goal square. Oh, fuck, I remember him. Doing a Nick Dacos just cheap touches, you reckon? <laughs> uh, Nick Dacos earns his touches at the halfback line. He's uh, saving the goals and distributing. Um, yeah, no, I have Dawson here to Stengel. Yeah. Well, that was pretty even. One and two, and three and four only differed very slightly. Fantasy time. Let's yep. talk some fantasy. I know it's been a long podcast, <coughs> so we will nut out some real solid fantasy work for you now. Yeah, all right. Um... Jake's given us two players again this week um, for the rebuild. Okay. Uh, I'll let the other two boys talk about them, and then I just got one little player to finish off on the rebuild this week. Um, I might even start with him. Stuff it. I am going to tell you about a player called Jack Ross. Jack Ross is 21 years old. He is starting to earn his way in the Richmond midfield. Um, Fantasy-wise, he's put out a 90 this year, and he's put out a couple of 70s. He's still finding his way. He put out a 99 last year and a 93 last year, so he is starting to show a high ceiling. He just needs to get consistency in the midfield. If you can get him for a a fifth-round pick, probably is about where he sits. Because he has potential to be their next superstar player in the midfield. He'll be the next generation with Short and Liam Baker. And you can add Jack Ross as the third cog in that midfield. Um, I think get him now. He's only going to get better this year. And next year he'll be ready to go. All right. um, The first player Jake gave us is Riley West. Western Bulldogs forward status. Jake says that he is the son of a gun, has what looks to be a promising ball-winning ability and fantasy game. He's currently playing as a medium-small forward um, and has a knack of hitting the scoreboard. He's got very strong set of hands above him um, and he won't get much attention from the opposition. Uh, Jake says if he can find the ball half the amount uh, of the time that his father did, then um, he's going to be a great option. Jake values him at a 10th rounder, or if he's on your waiver wire, um, he's just that you pick him up. <clears throat> he's averaging about 60, mid-60s at the moment, um, but he's coming off a 74 and 112 last week. So um, it shows that his ceiling is there. He's, you know, he's got 112, 78% game time, kicked three goals last week, kicked two goals the week before. Um, he's only looking on the up at the moment. He's only played six games this year, so not a lot to judge on, but given the last two game. Um, only looking up from here. All right, Rick is going to talk about the last player on our list, Dylan Stevens from the Sydney Swans. Was a good SA boy. Um, let's see what Jake said about him. Yeah, so with Dylan Stevens, there was a lot of hype around him in the preseason. <coughs> Happens every year. 2020, it was Petrarca. 2022, it was Sarong. But it always seems we're a year or two early with these young blokes. He's played the most games um, this season for his entire career, and he knows how to find the football when he's playing. Um, he's not afraid to get around the contest and also find some pill on the outside. Good inside-outside player. With an aging midfielder, he could be the next cog in the Sydney machine, and you probably can still get him cheap with a fifth or sixth rounder. So it's probably not a bad shout. The only thing is the risk of Sydney also do have a young list. But if he is one of these young players that does get in, he could be an absolute steal. All right, there you go. There's the rebuild. Um, any other fantasy talk you want to we want to talk about before we move on um i just got a little bit of a annoying shout out on the fantasy 
sort of front. I'm a Jaden Shaw owner. He is playing way too much in the midfield. Um, I have trade offers coming in hot for him. He's probably going to be a midfielder only next year. Because of the strength of my team, I'm, I'm not trading him. But if you were to trade him on the fact that he probably won't have back status to start next year at this rate, and you want to trade him or you don't need centers that score 100 because you have enough of them and you want to get a better backman in, um, I'd suggest probably looking to offload him because I think he'll be center only next year. Um, for me, that suits fine because my centers are crap. But um, yeah, that's that's an annoying one for me because he was my he was my unicorn back there, getting a hundred every week, and um, I think I'm about to lose him going forward. I know uh, you said you don't want to hear it every week, but you'd probably be pleased to hear that last week. Oh, Jack, Jack, Jack Graham, watch yes. Jack Graham got sixty-seven. Now he come off what uh, the last five games before that: one seventeen, ninety-nine, ninety-six, ninety-eight, and seventy-seven. But now he's dropped down to sixty-seven. So okay, Peter, tell me. How many tackles did he have this week? Four. So six less than last. Actually, sorry, yeah, six less than last two weeks. Five less than the week before that. When he's hitting the hundred nineties, which is exactly what you said. Didn't I say that? So I said Jack said- Graham is a tackling machine. No tackles, and Jack Graham can get FKD because he is C R A P crap. While yeah. we're talking about you and crap calls, what about how you said Matt Rao can't average eleven tackles a game? Made ten on the weekend. Number one in the entire AFL with 103 tackles this year. I agree. He is another Jack Graham clone. Well, if he doesn't this, get... You talked about this last week, saying that he 10 can't, he tackles, can't tackles or 11 tackles a game. He ain't going to get 100 points. He can't find enough peel. Tackles make these players good, and tackles aren't easy to come by in some weeks. All right, anyone else, Rick, or happy to move on? I just want to say I'm disappointed in my own coaching ability. So after Jake Lloyd's dismal score last week i had him in two leagues where i've got pretty good defenders and i didn't actually play him and he happened to be the highest scorer of the round so that's two leagues where i didn't actually play jake lloyd and i'm really disappointed in myself all i'm hearing here is you're not trusting your players all right before we before we wrap up the podcast it's time for the weekly rick's reach out um just before we start rick this week's rick reach out uh it was accidentally cut last week uh, it was suggested that he messages Matt Rao. So he's he's messaged Matt Rao and he's also been to the game to watch him over the weekend. Ricks, reach out. Ricks, reach out! So first of all, I'm just going to put it out there. This isn't the first time that I've actually messaged Matt Rao on Instagram. So back in April, I copped stick for it. I traded Matt Crouch for Matt Rao. I think it's a good trade now. Matt Crouch can't even get in the team. But I did say to him, can you please get good at fantasy football again? Did he reply to your message? That's all what we want to know here on the podcast. No. So he didn't respond to that message in April. So this weekend, not going to lie, I did sink a few few beers at the footy on the weekend. So I actually took a few photos of Matt Rao on the field and sent them to him and sent, this is you. On top of that, when Matt Rao was going for a centre contest, like just standing where I sit around the ground, I did yell out, it's Mr. Bulldog, can you please respond to me on Instagram as loud as I could? The people around me didn't like it. I don't know if I got Matt Rao's attention, but he did not respond to me, and now I'm pissed. So we are reaching out to you, Matt Rao, one of our very dismal amount of listeners in our early weeks. Listen to our podcast, reach out to Rick, give him a thumbs up, because he is very sad and lonely on whatever platform he is messaging you on. 
um, this weekend we're going to the Crows and Melbourne game. So if there's a player you want Rick to do a reach out for, let us know and he will try and get them to at least mention us on the podcast. Get a mention, add it to our podcast. That's what we're aiming for from Rick's reach out. All right then. Well, I love Clayton Oliver and Luke Jackson, so it's probably going to be one of them then. All right, I think that about wraps it up for episode three of the podcast. Make sure you give our Facebook page a like and rate us on Spotify. Uh, We'll be back next week. If you have any comments or questions, send them in and we'll address them next week.